Well, this morning we're continuing our, our look at the book of Proverbs. Uh, we've been, we started this last week. We began uh, just looking at what it means to walk in wisdom. And as we look through this book, there's a variety of things that are shown to us in the book of Proverbs. It's not like it's a book about just one subject. It's really the type of book that's about all subjects, all aspects of living. And so we're going to be talking about what it looks like to grow in godliness, what it looks like to avoid costly mistakes. You'll see some of that even in the portion of Scripture that we're looking at today. We're going to be talking about what it looks like to get ahead in life God's way. And uh, last week we looked at portions from chapter 1 of the book of Proverbs. Today we're jumping over into Proverbs chapter 2, and we'll be getting there in just a moment. Uh, But I'll tell you what, a few months ago, my mother-in-law, she bought me a book. Now, those of you that have been in my office, those of you that have been in my home were probably like, where did it fit? <laughs> right? You know, where did it fit? And I, it, it's a book about a musician that I've always admired, someone I've always respected. Uh, she knows I have a lot of books. She knows that I love reading. And when she gave me the book, I joked with her and I said this. I said, you know, it's a little dangerous to try to buy a book for me. And she looked at me and she said, wait, why is that? And I said, my answer to her was, because if, if I really want to read something, odds are I've probably already purchased it. And she laughed about that and I laughed about that because it's, it's pretty much true. Both of us kind of know that that's true. I have pretty simple taste in life, but something, you know, if it catches my attention, particularly a book, it's not too much longer before it's in my possession. And when it comes to knowledge, if I, if I want to know something, likewise, I'm going to do whatever it takes to be able to learn it. And I think we all demonstrate that same capacity to one degree or another. If something's genuinely important to us, we'll do whatever it takes to get it. In fact, if you take a, just a quick moment to analyze your life, you'll see that you're already, you're already pursuing what's important to you. You're already doing that. I'm already doing that. We already pursue what's important to us. And in a moment, we're going to be reading through Proverbs chapter 2, and we're going to do it a section at a time today. I'm not going to read the whole thing at once. We're going to break it down into parts, but you're going to see Solomon elaborate on that concept in Proverbs chapter 2. And he, he applies that approach, this idea of, of ultimately, you know, if something's important to us, we're going to try to get it, right? We're going to seek it. We're going to try and get it. He applies that approach to the wisdom of God. So meaning, if, if the wisdom of God is important to you, you're going to call out for it. You're going to eagerly pursue it. You're going to give up other things in order to get it. You're going to plead with the Lord to bless you with it. So even before we look at the scripture we're about to look at in just a moment, I'll pray first, um, but even before we pray, I just want us to have in the back of our mind these thoughts. How important is godly wisdom to us, and are we doing what we need to do in order to obtain it? Let's pray. Lord, we pray that as we look at your word this morning, that you would speak to our hearts, that you'd help us to know you, that you'd help us to grow in our walk with you. And Lord, we pray that you'd prepare our minds and our hearts to be challenged by what we're about to read together and what we're about to study. We pray that we would be open to it. We pray that we would be receptive to what you've communicated in your word and that this wouldn't be the type of thing that we hear it and maybe even think it's interesting or fascinating that you would communicate these things to us. We pray that we would go from just being fascinated with it to actually applying it to our day-to-day lives in the power of your spirit. So, Lord, we pray that that would be our intent 
as we look at your word today, that it would be our, our pre-intent, be, even before we read it, that, that as we read it, we would apply it and live it out. We thank you for it. We praise you for all these things and for this time together today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to start off by looking at, at verses 1 through 5 of Proverbs chapter 2. But I'm going to start us off with a, another question, and that's this. Is the treasure you're seeking and the treasure you actually need the same thing? Look at what it says in verse 1 down to verse 5. It says this, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Now let's pause there for a moment. How much of your life has been spent digging for some kind of treasure? We've all done it, but have you ever analyzed how much of your life has been spent doing it? Uh, sometimes on a day when I feel uh, like complaining, I almost immediately feel guilty about doing so because I know that my life is not anywhere near as difficult as some of my ancestors and, and their lives happen to be. And on my hardest day, I've, I've told you this before, but on my hardest days, I, I often think about my great-grandfather. I never had the chance to meet him in person uh, because he spent nearly every one of his working days as an adult digging in a coal mine in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. Just that was what he did. He was a coal miner. And there were plenty of days where he would get to the mine before the sun had come up. And by the time he got out of the mine, the sun was already down. And so when you just think about just a simple thing like being able to look out a window and, and see sunlight and how frequently I think I take that for granted. Well, I know my great grandfather didn't take it for granted because there were long stretches of a year where he wouldn't even get to see sunlight. You know, he wouldn't really even get to see it. Maybe on a Sunday he would get to see a little bit of sunlight, but that would be it. And then sadly, he lost his life in a cave-in while he was still young. And I think about that, you know, he spent all his days digging and digging and digging in that mine. And here you have Solomon talking about this idea of treasure. And he, he encourages us to have this mindset that this treasure exists and we're invited to be digging for it. But we're, we're told here that this treasure is ultimately the wisdom of God, the wisdom that the Lord supplies. He teaches us that we're to receive the words and the wisdom of God like the great gift that they are. We're to treasure His commandments. We're to seek even more to know what God is doing and what God is communicating. In fact, we're told in this particular passage, as he talks about this idea of calling out, you know, we're told to make this a matter of prayer that we would come before the Lord in prayer, that we would seek His wisdom so much that we would ask Him for it with a lot of intent. We're invited to call out to the Lord for the kind of supernatural insight that only the Lord can supply. And if this becomes the pattern of our life, I think we'll be amazed at the good that comes from it. You know, if that becomes the pattern of your life, if that becomes the pattern of my life, that we would call out to the Lord for His wisdom, I think we'll be amazed at the good that the Lord brings from that. And in the process of seeking the Lord's counsel and in the process of, of internalizing the wisdom that he makes available to us in his word, 
We also gain a deeper level of reverence for him. You could see Solomon communicating that. He, he communicated that in chapter 1. He's communicating that here in chapter 2, this idea of walking in the fear of the Lord. It's a repeated theme that he brings up because he says, ultimately, you're not going to obtain wisdom at all if you don't live in the reverence of the Lord. If you don't respect and revere the Lord, you're basically living your life in a posture where you're ignoring what the Lord says. But if you revere the Lord, if you respect him, if you have that healthy fear, that reverence for him, you're positioned, you're postured to be able to receive the wisdom that the Lord supplies. And ultimately, the Lord wants us to know Him in a meaningful way, and He communicates to us in a variety of ways. Now, with this in mind, you know, this idea of seeking the wisdom that the Lord supplies and seeking the wisdom that the Lord is offering to us, I love what Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. In that passage, notice what Christ says. He says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Do you ever analyze your greatest hunger and your greatest thirst and the things that you find yourself craving? When you look at what Christ says in Scripture, again, He says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. It's in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. By the way, Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, that two, those two chapters, the Sermon on the Mount that, that Christ proclaimed, it's my favorite portion of Scripture. And I remember when I first gravitated toward that pers- uh, portion of Scripture, I was a young Christian, and I realized when I was reading through those chapters that basically Jesus was saying, here's the way the world tells you to live. And I'm telling you that you're supposed to live the exact opposite. Here's the way the world tells you to think. And I'm telling you it's the exact opposite. Here's the way the world tells you to treat other people. And I'm telling you it's the exact opposite. And I was amazed in reading through that portion of Scripture for the first time. But in the midst of that, early in that message... Christ talks about this idea of digging for this treasure, searching for this treasure, and the analogy that he uses is is something we're all familiar with, hunger and thirst. Now, I recognize on a Sunday morning it's dangerous to bring up the concept of hunger, and it's dangerous to bring up the concept of thirst, because I'm never so hungry, I think, as I am on a Sunday afternoon. I don't know what it is. I need two things, food and a nap, right? You know, and I always tell everybody I'm a big football fan. I love the Eagles. Well, I'd be ashamed if you knew how many games I actually fell asleep during because I got that food and then all I wanted was the nap. And then I wake up and I'm like, what happened in the second half? Did we win? Oh, yeah. Go team, right? But here Christ is telling us hunger and thirst for righteousness. And Christ displays this for us in the New Testament as he's teaching there, but you see Solomon displaying this as we go throughout the book of Proverbs as well, that the wisdom of this world is not going to be what satisfies your heart or my heart. The wisdom of the world looks appealing, and there's certainly, you know, all truth is God's truth, right? You know, so if something's true, I mean, I think that ultimately we, you know, it it, it can be something the Lord uses to point us to himself, But there's a a form of wisdom in this world that's not wisdom at all. It actually steers us in an opposite direction from what God would have for us. And it looks so wise until it actually has the opportunity to play itself out. And then we discover it doesn't lead us where we thought it was going to lead us. So the wisdom of this world is not going to be what satisfies your heart or my heart. But the righteousness of Christ that we receive as a gift through faith in Christ, that's what satisfies the longings of our soul. That's what truly satisfies us. And with his righteousness, we likewise receive his wisdom, because he who lives within us offers us his counsel. 
So as you and I trust in Jesus Christ, we receive the gift of his wisdom as well, because he who lives within us offers us his counsel. Now, admittedly, and I know I'm not the only one who's found himself in this spot, but admittedly, if I'm super honest with you, I have spent multiple seasons of my life seeking after things that I have mistakenly thought would satisfy that longing. You know, things that I thought, all right, maybe this is what I ought to latch on to, or maybe that's something I ought to latch on to. And thankfully, one of the things that the Lord's been teaching me over time as I've known Him and walked with Him during different seasons of my life, one of the things that He's been teaching me is that He is sufficient. That the things that I have tried to utilize in this world to satisfy that longing in my soul, they're not going to work, but Christ does. He satisfies my soul. He is sufficient. He'll be sufficient for you as well. The treasure that I was seeking and the treasure that I actually needed were not the same thing. I needed Christ. I was seeking other things. But now at this season of my life, I could testify to you with joy that in Christ I find all I truly need. Jesus is the wisdom of God personified, and he offers himself to us freely. And so again, the way Solomon opens up this section of Proverbs chapter 2, you know, I think it's basically inviting us to ask the question, is the treasure that I'm seeking and the treasure that I actually need the same thing? Well, what I really need is Jesus. And through Christ, as His Spirit indwells us, we find the wisdom that we're seeking as well. Now, Solomon goes on a little bit further here. And he continues to develop some of these thoughts, and he gives us some examples of the work that the Lord's doing behind the scenes to actually facilitate growth and protection in your life. And one of the things you can see when you look at verse 6 and the verses that come right after that is that God is guarding your life in multiple ways through multiple means. He's trying to get you to the finish line. He's trying to protect you and help you in the midst of this journey that you're on. But look at the way Solomon phrases this here. I'll start with verse 6, and I'm going to read down to verse 15, but he says this, "'For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk.'" in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the, in, the, in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. Um, when my children were young, we lived up in the Poconos for a couple of years while I was directing a conference center up there, and the home that, the, that uh, the director has the opportunity to live in, it actually used to be a hotel. And then half of it was turned into the director's residence, and then the other half are guest rooms. And there's kind of like a dividing wall between the two sides of the building now. And so living in that house, one of the things that you would notice right when you came into the kitchen of the house is that there's a nice, beautiful wooden staircase that leads you to the second story. It's, it's beautiful. It was crafted beautifully. Um, I thought it was lovely, but it was also a little bit dangerous, And if you've ever had the opportunity to live in a home that has a wooden staircase, 
You probably know what I, I, I'm referencing because there are many days that I started off my day by sliding right down that thing. You know, you'd be just in socks and, and uh, you'd step on the edge of a step the wrong way and then you'd go for a ride. And I remember at one point we had company over and they were about to leave and I was upstairs and I was like, oh wait, before you go, let me say goodbye. And I stepped on the steps and it looked like I was trying to surf down them and I wasn't, and it was one of the most painful moments of my life, but I found myself just gradually working my way to the bottom, and then I got to the last step, slid off, and somehow didn't fall, and I just stood there for a second with my hands out like this, and uh, they still bring it up to this day. And I spent the next several days in pain uh, just because of that sliding exercise going down that thing. But because our house was always full of people, uh, my wife and I found it very difficult to maintain a baby gate on either end of that. And our kids were young at the time. But you know how it is. Your first kid you put a gate up for, your next few, you're like, whatever, right? You're like, kids learn through bumps and bruises, don't they? Sometimes, you know. Um, I can confess that to you now that they're in their teenage years, right? Uh, but no, the, the truth is we found it difficult to always have that gate in place because those stairs were always in use and it was very, very challenging to have that in place. But we did have one saving grace in the midst of it. Our son, Jay, and uh, what Jay would do, and my wife and I noticed this in the, in the midst of that season, he was always so helpful to us when we asked him to guard the steps because, you know, he has younger siblings. And so we would just say to him, Jay, would you be willing to just guard the steps right now because I'm stepping out of the room and I don't want your younger siblings to get too close to them? And he'd be like, I'm on it. And he would stand there. So picture a four-year-old, five-year-old Jay, and he would guard it. And like with every ounce of energy he had, he would guard it. And to the point we were convinced like his younger siblings are safe because he really will not let his guard down. We were amazed at how good he was at it. And he would protect them. And if they got too close, he would, you know, encourage them away from it. He'd protect them. He'd guard them. And truthfully, I'm the only one that ever fell down those steps. So <laughs> it was good. But have you, ever, have you ever paused to thank God for the ways that he's intentionally guarding and protecting your life? And sometimes I don't know that we always even notice the ways that he's guarding and protecting us, because he's, he's doing that in ways that sometimes it doesn't even immediately catch our attention. But can you see some of the safety measures and some of the guide rails that he's been surrounding you with to keep you from falling? Sometimes it could be just the wisdom of an older relative or, or a circumstance that didn't work out the way you wanted it to work out, and then you found out that if you actually had that circumstance work, work out, it would have been perilous to you. Solomon, when you look at the, Now, I read a long section there, verse 6 to verse 15. It's a little bit longer. But when you look at what Solomon is saying there, he's actually giving us a glimpse of the multiple ways that the Lord's guarding us. And the list is long, as we just read it together. He tells us that God guards us by giving us wisdom. So that's one of the ways that the Lord's protecting you. He's, he's revealing things to you so that you will make the right life choices and not go in a direction that's going to bring you harm or bring somebody else harm. So wisdom is one of the protective gifts that the Lord gives His children. And ultimately, we receive that wisdom as the Holy Spirit speaks to our conscience and speaks to us and enlightens us through His Word. We're also told that the Lord's sovereignly watching over the path we take. It was another thing that Solomon elaborated on here. So God sovereignly watches over the path that you're on, the path that you're taking. His eye is not off of you. His eye is on you. Scripture here tells us that the Lord shields us from evil. 
And now there's a lot of things that you've seen and a lot of things that I've seen over the course of my days, but do you ever wonder about the things that you didn't see because the Lord was protecting you? You know what I've actually wondered sometimes when I'm praying to the Lord? So I can see my life and maybe some of the lives around me, but do you ever wonder what you can't see that's taking place in the world right now? There's crazy stuff happening right now as you and I are, you know, in, in the, the comfort of, of being able to worship together and look at the Word of God together and, and sitting down and, and meditating on these things. But right now, somewhere, somewhere in this world, somebody's fighting for their life. Or, or somebody is just like in a pool of despair, or someone is being threatened, or, or somebody's being hurt. And I think to myself, like emotionally speaking, sometimes I get to a point where I think, I, I almost don't, I'm just like thankful at times that to be able to live in ignorance, because I, I think I, I don't have the emotional capacity to know all of that, even if we could, which it's not possible for us to know all of that. But the Lord, He's seeing it all right now. He's seeing all that takes place. And there are things that you and I don't even see that the Lord is shielding us from and protecting us from. And Solomon elaborates on that in those verses that we just read together. How about this? Do you ever think about what Solomon says here about the fact that the Lord protects us from perverseness? Like, they're just perverse things that the Lord doesn't want in your mind. He doesn't want it in your heart. And He delivers us from people that have ill intentions for us, people who want us to join them on a crooked path. These are various ways that Solomon talks about the fact that God is guarding our lives in multiple ways, through multiple means. These are just some of the ways that the Lord's doing His work in your life as evidence of His love. Knowing that the Lord is guarding our lives, like Solomon illustrates here in this portion of Scripture, I think that should be a source of comfort for us. It certainly is uh, for me. And I I have to tell you, over the course of this week in preparation for today, as I was just meditating on that thought for a little bit, I thought, wow, Lord, thank you for bringing this to our attention from this portion of your word. It actually brings me comfort to know that you are so actively and intentionally guarding my life like this. But I have to tell you, it also brings me a sense of confidence. Not confidence in myself, confidence in the Lord who's willing to protect my life and shield me from things that He doesn't want in my life and then set me out on mission to serve Him knowing that He's shielding me and protecting me and that nothing's going to come into my life that He hasn't allowed for a greater purpose. That, that brings me both comfort and confidence. Confidence in Him, comfort that's, that's originating from Him. He's guiding the steps we take. He's, he's overseeing the walk we're on. We've been granted the liberty, though, to either embrace His protective guidance or to try to live outside of those guide rails. That's an awkward spot that you and I are in. You actually have liberty. You can embrace the guidance of God and experience it more and more. You can try and live outside of those guide rails. But Solomon's basically illustrating this for us as a plea, indicating, look, there's wisdom in embracing the framework of God's protective care. Look at all the things God's trying to do for you. Don't fight them in it. There's wisdom in embracing it. You know, if we call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, we're not supposed to be spending our lives ignoring the voice of God or ignoring the protective care of God. We should look at a portion of Scripture like this and just say, Lord, it's so wonderful that you would bother to reach into my life to offer something like this to me. I don't deserve it, but I'm grateful for it. Solomon goes on a little bit further, and this is where stuff starts to get a little... You know how I mentioned last week that there are certain parts of the book of Proverbs... 
um, that start to touch on like awkward things and touchy things, right? Uh, this is one of those portions of Scripture where he starts to really dig in a little bit here. And when you look at verses 16 and 19, what he's going to show us here is that there's a high degree of similarity between spiritual and marital adultery. Now, look at what it says here when you look at verse 16, and we'll go down to verse 19. He says this, So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. Um, many of you know that one of my favorite musicians of all time was uh, a, a man named Rich Mullins. And uh, in fact, the musician that I was referencing, that book that my mother-in-law bought for me about a musician, he was the musician that she bought the, the book about. And, um, and so she knows I enjoy reading things about his life and reading things that he said and, and songs that he's, he's recorded. And um, he once told a story that I got a big kick out of. And those of you that are grandmothers, all right, if you're a grandmother here in person, if you're a grandmother on the live stream, you could decide whether or not you want to follow the example of Rich Mullins' grandmother. But at one point in his life, she gave him a Bible, and he noticed that some of the things that Solomon had said in the Bible, particularly the book of Song of Solomon, she actually removed. She took it out. And he's like, why is there parts missing? And she said, well, Solomon says some kind of risque things here, and so I'll, I'll give you that part when you're older. And he said, oh, okay. So I, I actually met Rich Mullins when he was in his 40s. And this is what he said. Yeah, she never gave it to me. So I, <laughs> I, I don't know how old she was waiting for him to get, but he said, I never got it. I had to go buy a copy of the Bible for myself, you know, find out what's in the sections that grandma took out. Well, this is the type of stuff that we just read that grandma took out. Like she'd take this stuff out. She's like, yeah. I don't know, Rich, maybe when you're older. She never gave it to him. But I do find it rather interesting how frequently subjects like adultery and unfaithfulness and things like that, how, how often they come up in Scripture. In the history of humanity, it shows us that this is one of the primary areas of temptation that we struggle with. In fact, if you look at the lives of leaders who have eventually disqualified themselves in leadership, it frequently, when they disqualify themselves, it frequently comes down to one of two issues. It's usually either they've misused money or they've shown a lack of integrity in regard to sexual ethics. It's usually one of the two. And while infidelity within marriage is certainly a big deal, there's a realm of unfaithfulness that the Lord speaks about in the same manner that we could say even goes beyond that. So you may or may not have been unfaithful to your spouse, but here's the thing we've all struggled with. We have all wrestled with being faithful to the Lord. Every one of us in this room, everyone joining us on the live stream, everyone that'll be listening to the podcast of this message, every single one of us have all struggled with our faithfulness to the Lord. We've wrestled with that. That's been the struggle of humanity from our earliest days, and it was because of our willingness to sever our relationship with God by being spiritually and relationally unfaithful with Him. It's because of that that the Father sent us Jesus. Our relationship with the Lord needs to be restored. It needs to be reconciled, and that's only accomplished through Christ because at our heart, we're people who wrestle with not just marital adultery, but spiritual adultery. 
And that subject comes up time and time and time again in Scripture. In fact, it's probably worth looking at James chapter 4, verse 4. In James 4, 4, you have James saying this. And he says this in the context of as he's speaking this to the early church. And notice the exclamation in this. He says, you adulterous people. By the way, if I ever have like a sermon title, you adulterous people with an exclamation point, uh, are we coming to church that Sunday or are we skipping? Because I usually announce the sermon title on Friday. Well, James, he, he had it like here. He said, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. What's he getting at here? He's talking about spiritual adultery. He's talking about the fact that our hearts are always drifting toward something else, thinking something less than Jesus has the capacity to satisfy my soul. And you could, you could waste your life chasing after things that will not satisfy your soul. And all that is is a form of spiritual adultery. And so you have Solomon talking about the concept of adultery here in this passage in Proverbs chapter 2 as we examine his words. But, but he shows us, and you can, you can apply this whether it be to marital adultery or the deeper root, spiritual adultery. They both have the same root cause. But he shows us that, that giving in to the temptation to be unfaithful in any realm, it only leads to ruin. It will ruin you. Marital adultery and spiritual adultery both seem enticing. And they both seem tempting in the moment, but they both lead to ruin and regret in the end. And please notice Solomon's counsel because it's one of those guide rails. Solomon's words are strong counsel for us. He says this, For her house sinks down to death, and her paths to the departed. Marital adultery, spiritual adultery, same root issue. It's an unfaithfulness to the Lord that's bearing itself out in life. But then Solomon finishes up this section with one more thing, and this is where I want to finish up for us today. When you look at verses 20, 21, and 22, he talks about this idea of building your life a particular way. And we want to build our lives on the foundation of faith, righteousness, and integrity. If we're followers of Christ, Christ is the foundation. And he's a foundation of faith, righteousness, and integrity. And we see this illustrated this way when you look at verse 20 down to verse 22. Solomon says it this way. He says, So you will walk in the way of of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. Let me say that again. Verse 20. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. So I'm grateful that through Christ, we don't need to remain on the path of unrighteousness and death. That's where we were headed. That's the path we were on. But now in Christ, as we trust in Christ, we receive life. We have life through Christ. In Christ, we're made upright. In Christ, we're given an inheritance in the kingdom of God. And as Solomon says it here, I'll read it again. He says, the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it. So what he's getting at here is this idea that the wicked who persist in their unbelief, they are cut off from the eternal goodness of God. But those who have faith in Christ will enjoy a secure inheritance in His presence forever. 
And this passage forces me to ask the question, so I'm going to ask it of myself, but I want you to ask it of yourself as well. And the question is this, on what foundation am I trying to build my life? On what foundation am I trying to build my life? Because when you look at the example that's being held out here to us, an example that we're being called to emulate, we're shown a person who chooses to build their life on a foundation of faith, righteousness, and integrity. So what happens here is a person trusts in the Lord and they receive His wisdom, they're shown that this is the right foundation to lay. This is the way that your life is to be built through Jesus Christ. But some people build their lives on things that are much, much shakier than this. I won't use any names because I haven't done the research on this myself, but I did read an article about this uh, less than a week ago. But I read an article about an influential person, probably a name that at least half of you would recognize, so that's why I'm not going to divulge it. Um, But I read an article about an influential person who is now deceased. And during the course of his life, his public persona gave off the impression, at least to me, that he was a man of character, that he was upright, that he knew the Lord and proclaimed the message of the Lord. And that was the impression I certainly had of this particular person. But it's starting to become clear that he may have been leading a double life. And, uh, And I thought to myself as I read that, I thought, this is so disturbing. It drives me crazy when I learn of stories like that. But it's so common. And I think one of the things that's helpful in reading a story like that is because we can very, very easily find ourselves making the same kind of mistake if we try to also build our lives on a wicked and worldly foundation. And usually what ends up happening if you do that is you try to tell yourself that you're the only one that will know. But that's not the truth at all. The Lord knows. And the truth, all truth is ultimately going to be brought to light. And so here I was this week reading an article about someone that at one point I thought I had a lot of respect for, and then as I'm reading through this, I'm thinking, wait a second, was was he leading some sort of a double life? I don't actually know the answer to that, but the article made a convincing argument. But I want to ask us, as we finish up our time together today, are we trying to lead some sort of a double life, or are we building our life on, on the foundation of Christ, which is a foundation of faith, righteousness, and integrity? Because if your life is being built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, He will foster those things in your life. He will foster faith in your life. He will foster righteousness because He gives you the gift of His righteousness. You don't have to go through life with your own righteousness. Scripture tells us that our righteousness is like filthy rags as we present that before the Lord because it's been tainted with sin. But the righteousness of Christ supersedes it all, and we're given the gift of Christ's righteousness the moment we trust in Him. And as as we continue to walk with the Lord, what does He do? He convicts us, and He helps us, and He guides us, and He helps us not to live a double life, but to live a life of integrity, where your public persona and your private life are the exact same. It's the exact same. That if someone sees you in an unguarded moment, all they're going to see is the same person that they saw when you were in public. Exact same. That's the kind of foundation that Christ will build into us as we walk with Him, as we trust in Him. We don't want to live a double life, because a double life is ultimately a life that's built on a foundation that's bound to crumble. So again, the wisdom and the righteousness of Christ, it matters. It's of greater value than this world can offer to us. It's of greater value than the treasures that this world tries to convince us have value. If what Christ offers you is valuable to you, you will do what you need to do in order to get it. To just come right back to our original thought. 
If that matters to you, if what Christ is offering to you matters to you, you're going to do what you can. You're going to do whatever it takes in order to get it. So the example that we're given here in this portion of Scripture, we have Solomon encouraging us to people who just call out for it. And in essence, isn't that what we need to do? Just call out for it. Trust the Lord for it. Call out. Ask Him to make that investment in your life. Submit yourself over to Him. Just call out to Him. How badly do we want the wisdom that He offers? How badly do we want His presence in our life? How, how intensely do we want Him to guide and direct and protect us? Do we want to go through all of our days and all of our decades trying to be our own Lord? Or are we finally at the spot where we become convinced that nothing less than Christ is going to satisfy that ache in our soul? There is nothing this world can offer me that has ever satisfied that ache in my soul. But Christ has. He satisfies my soul. He brings peace to my heart. He'll do the same for you. And he blesses us with his wisdom, with his guidance, with his protection as we walk with him in the midst of all circumstances of life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for teaching it to us. Thank you for the counsel that you give to us from it. Thank you for the privilege that it is to walk with you. Thank you for the fact that, that, Father, as we trust in your Son, Jesus Christ, that the foundation our lives are being built upon is a foundation that is not shaky, it's not brittle, it's not worldly, it's not temporary. It's a type of foundation that ultimately has eternal consequence. So, Lord, we pray that by your grace we would be men and women who love you. We pray that we would be men and women who seek after you. We pray that we would be people who value what you offer and that our lives are spent pursuing you because you pursued us first. Lord, we're grateful for the challenging things that, that we have the privilege to read and study and think about when we look through a book like this. We're grateful for it. And we pray, Lord, that it would edify us, that it would encourage us, that it would convict us where it needs to convict us, that it would motivate us, and that we would find comfort and and confidence as we look at these passages, these words, these, these, uh, these, these proverbs that give us such great counsel. Lord, we want to ultimately experience the comfort that you offer. We want to ultimately experience the confidence that we can have in you, not a confidence in and of ourselves, not a comfort that's, that's found through worldly means, but ultimately comfort and confidence that comes from you. So, Lord, thank you again for teaching us from this portion of your word today. And as we prayed earlier, we pray that you'd help us to live these things out and to walk with you faithfully in the midst of all circumstances as you empower us to do so. And we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.